you know, a lot of us have different feelings about our work, and I've been doing a lot of interactions and interacting with different people. And uh, some of you just love your work, and that's great. You're very happy with it. There are others who, eh, you're saying it's, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I mean, I'm not going to be here necessarily long, but I don't, I don't mind it. And then there are others of you that I've, I've spoken to, and I've been a little surprised by that. You actually, really, you're kind of miserable there. And uh, you're, you're staying because you have to. And uh, in certain situations, you know, it has to do with the kind of work we do. We may not find it as fulfilling or suited for who we are. Um, we may not like our environment. It may not be anything to do with the work. It's just the people we work with, the culture. It just doesn't, it's not a great fit for us. Or in some cases, it, we, we find it really somewhat oppressive, right? So, and then that's not even taking into account the possibility that, you know, we're, we all experience work differently around our age as well, you know. I'm at the stage where my wife and I, we have, you know, our four children are now in their 20s, and our oldest one is just edging right on the edge of, of the 30s. And uh, that, that, watching them engage the workplace here in San Francisco and in, in another place as well, but specifically in this area, has been great for me to see and listen to and learn from. And I think it, it reminded me that, you know, 20s and 30-somethings, and again, not trying to be overly generalized here, but are going to experience work a little bit differently when you're just beginning your career path or trying to reinforce it. And again, some of us may be students, some of you may be small business owners, some of you may be homemakers as your dominant role, all, all understandable. But for those who are in, their work, in the workplace, in the marketplace, you know, you experience things a lot of times differently based on where your age. For instance, if you're in your 40s, it's different than when you're in your 20s. When you're in your 50s, you experience it in a much different way as well, right? There's all kinds of different things that people experience based on their ages. And then I was even thinking about it, even those who maybe find themselves in their 60s and 70s are wrestling through different issues, right? How do I, how do I think about my, my career path in, in terms of it coming to a, a bend in the road or sometimes a close? I've been reading a lot about um, what people are now calling, it's kind of a cultural phenomenon that's going on, what's called, you know, kind of a second life in our careers. And people are, in fact, many people are coming to San Francisco to do it. It's where you work less for the monetary uh, reasons and more out of a context of, of fulfillment and contribution. And we're seeing that happen a lot, especially, again, towards the that what was being, because people are living longer now, and in, in many cases, um, having more active lives. And so they have a little bit more opportunity to think about what you're gonna do in your, in your second life of work, really, your second career. And so anyway, wherever we find ourselves in, there are some commonalities that the Bible has for us. The verse that we've been sitting with as our primary focus and kind of the, the way, the lens in which we've been approaching this is found in Colossians 3. And it's not only your handout, I ask that you just put it up real quick. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Don't do it for people. Knowing that from the Lord, for men, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're, you're serving the Lord Christ. So he's writing to believers. And he's talking about how we work. And he's saying, when you do your work, remember this. Remember who you're doing it for. And so one of the things I'd like to just put up, you know, principally speaking, and it's something we've focused on the last two weeks, is that, and here's the first principle, that regardless of our occupation, right, those of us who claim to know and love him, and I am, I am making that assumption, and I know not everyone here is even there, there yet, but when we have made a decision that we sincerely 
want to follow Jesus, that we have truly received him as our Lord and Savior, and we've recognized his call of love over our life, and we commit ourselves in that way, it means that the way we work ultimately is for him. That, it, that, that is the primary, our, prim, our first employer is the Lord, if you will. And it, how we think about our work is always put through that lens. How we treat people is put through that lens. How we respond to people who are not treating us well is challenged and put through that lens. How we complete the assignment when no one's looking. And we could clearly get away with less than doing quality work. But that extra 10%, we honor the Lord with it. Because again, if we truly believe what we're being taught here and told here, in the end, the one we really work for is the Lord. And, it, and it's something that, you know, I was thinking about it. It's an interesting thing happened last night. And I know not everyone necessarily is a basketball fan, but clearly there's a peak in, in uh, warrior loyalty these days. And uh, I'm not saying it's bandwagon. I'm just saying uh, I was there when they were the word. Okay. I was a, but, you know, if you, if you, they, they got off to a little rocky start this year. And the Warriors lost, lost last night. They lost the second game. I think they're going to be fine. My point is not that. It's, 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 it was uh, Steph Curry had something happen. It only happened like once before. He got kicked out of a game. Uh, I didn't see it, uh, but I read a little bit about it and heard about it. And uh, one of the things that someone texted me this morning was his tweet. And in his tweet, he, he said something that was, I thought, very interesting and apropos. Because when he was talking about, about it, he said... He tweeted this, no excuse for that. Got to remember who I'm playing for. And um, everybody who knows him and, and how he talks about his faith, he was clearly talking about who his first employer was, right? Which I thought that was fantastic. And it, it just, I love how the message translation actually renders a passage of scripture in Romans 12 that I think just really informs what we're talking about. And I put this, we put this in your handout. Message is a, a slightly different translation, but I love this passage and the way it connects to what we're talking about. If you could, you could just follow along with these in your handout there, or if you have your Bible app, you can follow there as well. But it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, all right? Take your everyday, ordinary life, and then he describes it. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work. You're walking around life, that life, your everyday life, and place it before God as an offering. You take that everyday life and you place it before God as an offering. It's a choice we make. Lord, I want to give you my life. Lord, I want to give you this day. Not, and, and not just the, the one hour or so that I invest on the weekend to honor you and to mark the fact that you are preeminent in my life. I come together into your house to, to remind myself of first things and to worship you and to open up my life to you together with others. That's wonderful. But it's, it's so much more than that. It's meant to be lived out. Remember we talked about even our whole church's mission, right? Inviting others into life with Jesus, right? This whole idea of inviting others into life with him. You know, talking about him, letting him be known through our lives is to live out our faith and invite others into life with him. Those are both our words and our deeds and our, our whole attitude to life is to represent his heart to other people. And this is what he says. I want you to offer your life. And I love the fact that he says, not just when you come to church, but your everyday life. 
And then he gets into it. You know, there's the things that we call the most mundane, basic things. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're, 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 you're walking around, you're going to work life. That's meant to be offered up to the Lord. Place it before him. And, and then he says, look, embrace what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And don't become so, and then I love this, don't become so well adjusted. The other word could be squeezed into conformity by the culture that you just fit in into it without even thinking, just going along with it. He says, challenge that, challenge that. Instead, he says, fix your attention on God. And this is huge to me. And you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Think about what does the Lord want from me at this stage in my life, in this place that I'm working at, and respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, it's always kind of dragging us down. Oh, man, there's a lot of dragging down going on these days. Right? I've been saying it because it's just the, the reality of our milieu, of our environment. There's so much yelling. Everybody's angry. Everybody's taking sides. So much fractalization going on. You know, and, and I think it, honestly, it, it, it makes what we're doing mean even more to me. Not that it didn't mean a lot to me already, but it means even more. Because so many people coming from different backgrounds with different hurts and wounds and perspectives, but coming together to share the commonality of, of a desire to want to follow Jesus together and being with people we would not normally be with. This is so good, so right, so honorable in the Lord's eyes. He says, you know what? Let God bring out the best of you. Develop well-formed maturity in you. Again, you know, I was thinking about this, the everydayness of our life, how it presents an opportunity to honor Jesus. And this really showed up for me actually this week. Um, I had this meeting planned, uh, a, a young, uh, another younger leader from a, another church in San Francisco had some issues that they, they were wanting to get some perspectives on and, and wanted to have, uh, asked if I could uh, meet with them for a little bit. And over, we decided to go for a cup of coffee on the, on the west side of the city. And, and I said, hey, I'll meet you there. We'll talk. And, and the reason it came up, because again, it was Thursday. I was, I was going to, I remember coming into the, the coffee house and we started talking. And this, the way the seats were, there weren't a lot of space. And, these, and so I seen two guys outside and uh, they ended up coming and when I had gone to the restroom and came back, they were actually sitting in the two seats right next to us. And, it was really, and, and they had really spread themselves out and one of them had a, like an attitude, you know, like a, an attitude, like an edge to them, right? It was, <laughs> yeah. And it kind of, you know, when someone, you know, they, they didn't, know, and, and so I had come back, when I came back, the atmosphere had changed. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't loving it that much, you know, like the whole feel of it. And I was wanting to talk about the Lord, but it felt like strange, like, like it was being, it was just a strange feeling. And I felt a little uncomfortable. The guy was fidgety and kind of looking angry and brooding. And then right there, you know, so I'm having this conversation. And, and, but eventually with the, the, the younger leader that I was with, I, I, we, we talked and, and I said, hey, let's just, I just try to like say, Lord, just let me focus on what I'm supposed to be focused on right now. So I said, let's pray together, right? And I like to do this, you know, whether I'm in a small group or not. It's really important. I, I, it's one of the, the things that I like to try to do wherever I go, especially when I'm with a, a small group or a meeting with someone. I, I try to pray. I know it's going to sound, but I try to pray unashamed in public, but modestly, not, you know, ostentatiously and, you know, look at me, you know, but, but in a way that says I am not ashamed of him at maybe a conversational level. 
and just as a, a matter of form do that, not just because it has meaning in the prayer itself, but because I think also sometimes people are watching. And there's so few things that we get to do to take our faith outside that oftentimes just marking that moment, I've found sometimes it encourages others who are believers who are just kind of there and, and they'll come out, someone say, hey, you know, I really saw that. Or, or I'll see other people who are just kind of interested and they kind of listening in a little bit, you know. And the reason I say that is because as I was praying and I was debating whether I should do it in this environment, I said, you know, I'm just going to do it. I did it. Not because I was a pastor. Because I love Jesus. I was a, I'm a follower first. Remember that. That's the truth. And, and so when I pray, so this is the thing that happened. So I'm finished, we say, I say, in your name, Lord, amen, right? Boom. I, it, I got caught off guard because the guy who was agitated and angry jumps in and says, hey, would you pray for me? I'm not joking. I mean, I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, we, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sure. I was thinking of the whole time, you know, I was thinking of the whole time. I was just going to want to pray for you. Hey, what's your name? <laughs> I said, I said, um, I said, what's your name? You know, we started talking and he told me who he was. And I said, what's, what, what, what do you want me to pray for? <coughs> like, what can I pray with you with? Right. What you? He says, yeah, I'm just so angry. Right. I, 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 you know, I could tell I'm a mess. Right. We just being honest. So we just, you know, I didn't, I didn't say, I just mentioned the church briefly, and I just the main thing I felt led to say, and again, I, every, every conversation is different. All I said was, hey, you know what? Um, I, I prayed a blessing, and I said, someone must love you and be praying for you. That's one thing. I don't know who they are. I said, I, know, I think I'm supposed to say to you is that you're loved. And I said his name. And I, I you know, I left. I just felt like, and as I was walking away, it, it, it was like it, I don't, you know, I was reminded of a couple of things. One of which was this verse came to my mind uh, about this incident. I was thinking about what just happened there. Like, Lord, what just happened? I was just like not even thinking about it. And you had someone ask me to be prayed for. I mean, that, I was just going, wow, what a thank you for that. And then I remember what Jesus said in John 4 after he had this conversation with the woman that we come to be come to know as the woman at the well. One of the great chapters of the New Testament is John 4 because it's this amazing exchange that Jesus has with this woman. And in that, by the time he's done, the disciples come back and say, hey, what's going on here? And he says, basically, do not say there are four months and then comes the harvest. He says, I tell you, I tell you. And then he has this statement that I love. Lift up your eyes. I tell you that the fields are white on the harvest, that they're ripe right now. Right? It was almost like he's saying, do you see what's going on around you? Wherever people are wounded, wherever people are in need, don't just go by the facade. Don't assume. You know, there's things happening below the surface. And it was like he was going, like, you know, don't say, because four months had to do with the idea of when you plant, you wait till the harvest takes place. He was saying, don't, don't assume that you, you can't see the need right now. It's here. Now is the, t they're all around us. It was a great, so that was, I was thinking about that, and I was going, wow, Lord, ah, oh, man, I don't ever want to estimate, underestimate the need and the openness that's out there, because that's what I kind of did, right? I was more, I was more trying to not be irritated and bothered by my, the, the encroachment into my space, right? 
And I was debating now, God, this kind of ruins what I was thinking of doing. And so if anything, I would have prayed for initially would have been like, Lord, can you have these people leave? <laughs> right? <laughs> but I should have said to him, I already prayed for you. You didn't know it. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but the truth was is that the, by just, just holding the Lord, it allowed the Lord to show me. Again, don't underestimate people. Because when people are in pain, they're open. And there's a lot of people in pain. And it always, they can have their act together on the outside and be very much in pain. Because wounds are real. We have a very wounded culture. We're very wounded people ourselves. We, and if we're not careful, hurt people hurt people. But people who experience God's grace tend to offer grace. And then I, I say, Lord, and let me, let me remember one other thing. And this one I do remember walking away. I said, Lord, I am never off duty. I'm always, we're always on duty. If we, if we believe what we talked about, then we're on duty at work. It's like, oh, no, 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 when I'm out of church, I'm not really, no. We are never off duty as followers of the Lord. Well, that has a lot of implications for one, it reminds us that all of life, maybe especially work, is to be viewed as an opportunity. And I just need to put this up there, that every work environment is filled with an opportunity to honor Jesus. And I've had a few people say to me, well, you don't know my job. It, it's redundant. I have no creativity. I'm uninspired. I'm isolated. I had a person tell me, I work below the deck. People don't see me. And he wasn't really complaining. He was just mentioning that, you know, how do I honor him there? And he was getting it. He was wrestling with that. I, respe I respected him for it. But some people might say, well, I, you know, my job doesn't really offer me fulfilling work. I don't feel like I'm really using my passion or my gifts. I'm, I'm only doing it honestly because I need to because I have to pay my bills. I've had other people come up to me and say, wow, you know what? I love my job, but it's so hostile to Christians, or at least that's the perception of the culture. There are these stereotypes that are being made, and I'm afraid that if I say something, I'll just be slotted into that stereotype. And, and in this particular part of the country, it, it can come across in a negative way if I don't say it right, so I feel like I'm not supposed to say anything, and I feel kind of ashamed about how I feel not representing the Lord better, but then I feel like if I speak up, it could cost me something, and I'm not sure I feel guilt about it. And it's just like I'm listening to that, and I'm going, I, I do understand. I do. Other people say, well, I don't enjoy the culture. It's kind of oppressive because everybody's working so hard. And then on top of that, we can't trust people. It's like everybody's kind of working for themselves, even though we're all working together. And there's this, there's this feeling like if your back really isn't covered, if someone can use you to get ahead, they'll do it. And there's a very interesting hearing different people's perspectives about backbiting and manipulation. And then, of course, I've had other people say, well, you, and you should, honestly, my boss is so bad, right? Like working for him or her is, is really hard. And some, some said, well, it's not always when they, they're not always that way, but when, they, when they, they're not happy with the work, it's dem, you get demeaned. Right? I'm listening to this. And, I, and then it reminded me of a conversation that I had with um, my youngest daughter, who had not too recently, you know, she had graduated. She's, she's from the university and is back in the city. And, She's been going through different interviews for the last few months and, and has, you know, doing some different work and such. And I remember her talking to me about an interesting thing that happened 
when she went in for an interview. And because we were talking about bosses and people you work for. And I said, you know, Aubrey, I said, can you, can you remind me of what, that, what happened to you and what that was like? Can you just, would you, because I was thinking about it Saturday, actually it was Saturday morning. I said, can you, can you tell me about that, what happened? And normally I can't get a lot out of her, right? But I got a whole lot out of her on this one. And I'm going to share with you what she told me. Here it is. She goes, I was looking for job openings and I applied for this personal assistant job. And I kid you not, within five minutes of applying, she emails me, the boss, emails me and asks to meet on Friday at 12. I immediately am stoked because of the quick reply and her interest in meeting me. I print out my resume, have mom help me with the outfit. I'm getting really, really nervous because I could either be meeting someone who is really nice or someone who is just plain mean. That's what she writes. So I walk into the firm office, and her secretary is also the office coordinator. She greets me and hands me a five-page packet to fill out and a spelling test and a grammar test. <laughs> I'm not prepared for this. as I, It wasn't on the job application. As I fill it out, I'm thinking in my head, what am I doing here? I don't know anything about firms, and I'm not, and I'm not going to love this atmosphere. But I give the secretary my packet. She fills it out with a red pen and grades my sheet and hands it to the boss, the CEO, the one I would potentially work for. As soon as I walked into her door, she looks at me up and down, says for me to sit down. I do. And then I look at her desk, and I notice all the pictures she has on her desk are of herself. <laughs> and of her awards. And of course, she says, there was another thing there as well. Every CEO, as you know, needs a little dog she can carry in her purse and make her assistant clean up. She goes over the packet, doesn't say much, goes into the computer, opens my resume, and starts criticizing it. She asked me who helped me with my resume. And I mentioned, well, it was a friend of mine who happened to be a recruiter. <laughs> this is the funny part. Not hinting it was my brother. That's her brother who had done it. And he is a recruiter by trade. He'd been with Uber and now is with another company. And she tells me that whoever did it did an absolutely awful job <laughs> and starts fixing it and erasing things and changing things up. As I'm talking to her, she corrects all my grammar, such as using he or and I or she and her past tense. Or when I said, yeah, one time she corrects me and says, yes, you mean yes. She puts her head back down, continuing to edit my resume. I am immediately miserable, <laughs> thinking, what the heck am I doing here? She begins saying, I've done a lot to help in the community. I'm looking at what you've done here with people, and that's great and all. She mentions that all the jobs I have had in my past are jobs that desperately need people and aren't really that super professional. Some of the jobs I had put down, for example, Dad, were bereavement intern, behavior specialist, retail associate. Basically. She was making it seem like my jobs were easy and anyone could do them. She never asked me about my experiences or anything about me. She was just chewing me up. And I could tell she was enjoying it. I sucked up my pride. I showed her humility agreeing to what she said. Mm -hmm. As I thought, it can't get much worse than this. <laughs> she then asked me to stand up and take a look at my outfit. Now, I was wearing an outfit that I had borrowed from my from mother. 
<laughs> and a blouse that I had wore. And without any hesitation, she tells me I wouldn't have worn that outfit. She told me to go somewhere cheap, like Gap, <laughs> and pick out an outfit. She began criticizing everything. It was clear that I knew she wasn't going to pick me as her personal assistant. And it was definitely clear that I didn't want to be her assistant. I wanted to escape. It seemed as if her putting me down was because she had been working at this firm for almost 30 years, and that she was the top dog, and she needed to put others down. She explained that I was not up to her standards, and I totally agreed. <laughs> and I left with a smile on my face, wishing her future personal assistant the best of luck to deal with such a horrible person like her. All right, her life was full of herself, and it clearly showed that I was not meant to be a part of that life. I was sad from the rejection as it had been my first rejection from any job who had ever been interested in me. It was a great experience for me because it made me realize that I don't want to work for someone like that. I know that my calling is not that direction, but instead to help others and bring them up. I know God designed me to have a purpose, and my purpose is to serve his people, especially the ones who need extra help. This is where I shall go, Dad. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I love that. I love that. And some of us may go, well, you know, that's either something I saw in a movie or that's my boss, right? Or maybe we identify with a few other things that we've been referring to, right? The atmosphere, the environment, the feeling of reluctance to talk about the Lord. Listen, situations that we don't like on our jobs may be justifiable reasons for changing jobs. But they should never be perceived as opportunity-deprived environments. I'll say that again. No workplace, even the most difficult one, should never be perceived as opportunity-deprived environments. And I'll stick this up there. Assuming that the work is not unjust, immoral, or dehumanizing, it can actually be thought of as a place of worship and opportunity. Now, I make this point because we do need to qualify that. If our place of work is unjust, immoral, all right, or dehumanizing either to ourselves or to other people. It becomes then an issue of our conscience before God to determine where that line is drawn. But I tell you, that cannot be then a point of worship. But anything other than that, any work we do, no matter how modest it may be, can become a point of opportunity and worship that God is honored in it, and the way we do that work becomes an action of worship if we do it as unto him. Yeah. This is a very important thing. It brings dignity to whatever we touch, and it makes us challenge ourselves in areas where otherwise we would just go with the flow. It obviously, it affects how we work. It affects the attitude we work with, the way we treat people. It may affect how we treat our our coworkers, it's going to affect how we treat our customers, our clients, uh, our, our bosses. Yes, it's going to affect that. The way we represent the Lord is important, something we have been talking about now for the past few weeks, that we need to take advantage of the invitational opportunities as they arise, those divine conversations that God may open up where he wants us to just plant a seed. It may be as simple as saying, you know what, I'm, I, hey, you know, I, I'm going to be going to church. It may be that simple. Oh, really? Where do you go? Okay, this is that simple. That's what we talked about when we, were, we had to live it out, the shirts we've been doing, we've been giving out. I've been hearing a lot of people talking about that. 
I had a, I went to a, I went to a place where I was wearing the shirt with the big C and the guy took a look at, he goes, Hey man, I really like that live it out thing. I go, Oh yeah, yeah. Church, I go to the church, live it out, live it out, live it out. Cornerstone, see, we had a, I had a nice conversation with him. Point being is that it, it, it's the idea of creating conversations. I think the workplace is the best place to do it because people start to know us. They get to, we get to have opportunities. It could be like a little seed that we just deposit. Uh, but the attitude we work with is just as important as the words we say. There's a final portion of scripture, and you'll see it in your handout. That scripture was such a meaningful piece of scripture for me when I was just starting to um, think about being a pastor. I was just beginning. And I came across this passage in Psalm 78. Someone shared it with me. And it had such an effect because at the time I was such a young, young person. And it, it was the, the passage itself captures David as a young man and then captures the arc of his life. And it really does it in a beautiful way. And I want you to look at it and see it as a template for something, and we'll close with this. But in Psalm 78, look what it says, describing David. It says, He, the Lord, chose David his servant. What a description. And took him from the sheepfolds. Because David was a shepherd. Young David was a shepherd. He took David from following the ewes that had young, right? It's reminding that he was feeding and, and guiding a flock. No one was watching. He was by himself. He was caring for that flock even with tenderness as he took the, the ones who, the mother who were, you know, pregnant and, or had just had their babies, the youths, the young ones, and he was tenderly moving them along. The idea is pushing them along to places of leading and feeding, guiding them. And it says that the Lord noticed that, watched it, saw it. There's a kindness, a gentleness to it. There's a, there's a, a, a willingness to protect there. And it says, the Lord says, he took him from doing this work. And look what it says. And he brought, he, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. And then it describes how David, not as a perfect man, but how David took the responsibility that he had first, he took the same qualities with the work that no one saw and brought them into the work of leading a people. But it was the same character, the same heart. It says, and David, it says, guided them. Look at that. Shepherded them out of the integrity of his heart and guided them. And I, I have always loved this. And guided them with the skillfulness of his hands. Shepherded them out of the integrity of his heart and guided them out of the skillfulness of his hands. And what does it remind us of? I'll leave us with this. There's two things here. One is this, that God wants us to grow in our, our character right? That he wants us to be a people of growing character. When I look at that phrase, he shepherded them out of the integrity of his heart. Some of us have responsibilities for people. We manage people. We employ people. Um, we serve people. There's an idea. I remember I was telling you about my mother in a restaurant that she has. I said, mom, I said, you are the people you employ. You're, you may not see it this way, but because you love the Lord and that's going to be a part of what you do. I said, you are, you, are, you are functioning in my mind as a shepherd, a pastor of these people. It's under the Lord. The way you care for them, the way you help them to grow in their capacities and skills. So the way you manage and hold things accountable. That's shepherd. So, but the Lord wants us to grow. You know, growing in our character, somewhat, it, it's, the goal is this, that not that we're always going to be perfect because we're not, for sure. We will fail. I fail. 
way more than I wish I'd, I, I, there are things that I, I oftentimes will say, Lord, I really need you to help me because this is so hard for me right now. I'm having a hard time. I need your help. It seems seem like I'm having a really hard time breaking out of this thing, right? There might be areas in our lives where we feel that way. But as a whole, the character that we have, people should, that we work with especially, should say, oh, this is, what do you think of this? This is who I see this person as. And if we do something that maybe we lose our temper or we do say something out of turn or we don't react like the way, they would go, you know what? That was out of character for them. Because our dominant way of being is this way. This is how people know us to be. So that even when we fail, there's a sense that, oh, you know what? That, was out of, that is not the normal way they are. This is how I have experienced this person. And God wants us to be a growing person, a character. Again, I go back to that idea, the integrity of his heart. The integrity of his heart. He shepherded them out of the integrity of his heart. And then what else did it say he did? He guided them with what? The skillfulness of his hands. What a description, which reminds us of this, that we are also to be a people of growing capacity. As a follower of the Lord, we're to, be, to keep improving at what we're doing. Whatever we've been given, remember, if we, if, we can, if we honor the Lord with our work, then let's be good workers. Let's keep growing. Let's not put a lid on our learning. Let's get better at what we do so that we can honor the Lord better, help people better, be a better light, be a better blessing, be a better version of who we are. Keep getting better until the day we leave this earth, as long as we have power to do so. Until the day we leave, we keep growing, keep getting better. Better character, better capacity. This is the way of the Lord. And that means that we're going to have to be, be attentive to, to dying and resurrecting, to renewing. There's going to be seasons of renewal in our lives. There's going to be seasons of stretching in our lives. Seasons of learning new things in our lives. Seasons of staying fresh again, right? Reinventing ourselves. Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bring forth life. There are sometimes seasons where we die so that something new can live. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing of growth in our lives, though. And I'm reminding myself, we, when we follow the Lord, we are not just signing on to have a lid over our lives because now this is what I am, this is what I do, and I've been doing it for a long time. No! Grow! There's people, sometimes the greatest thing that happen at a job may not even be the job itself. It may be the conversation that we have. And it could be one. And it shifts the entire eternal landscape. I've seen it. Been witness to it. Some of you are here because of it. Let's pray. All right. Lord, we thank you. We want to we be responsive to you. And I ask that you would just continue to work in our lives, in our church. Help us to live out our faith in Jesus and then be open to inviting others into life with him. I ask that that would happen in, in the workplace. I know not everything is, is easy. And life isn't always easy. Um, but I do know that there are so many opportunities for us to grow, to break free, to wrestle with things, to have our character um, enlarged, the integrity of our heart, the skillfulness of our hands, our capacity to bless the way we represent you, Lord. Uh, give us a right attitude. Give us a, a right perspective and help us with our weak zones in our lives. Yes, even our sinful zones that would handicap us and hold us back, make us feel like we, we really are kind of ashamed and, and, and just so beaten down that we can't really represent you the way we want to. I ask that you would help heal us. We may always have struggles. We may always have thorns in some areas, but you are able to sustain us with your grace and, and you are able to help us to be better representatives of your heart. So I ask that you just bless this closing time, bless our time of giving. It's the way our church 
is able to fulfill its mission, is our people's faithfulness. I ask that you'd bless the song that we close with. Let it be the, the benediction that, that emphasizes all that we've shared. And I just ask for your blessing over these closing minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>